0: Hello and welcome to episode number 295 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and as you can probably see by the. Uh well, lack of Matt here. He's uh, he's escaped for the uh, for the evening, and uh, yeah, it's safe to say that Matt is busy coaching his way across uh, East Anglia at the moment. I think he's somewhere in between Cambridge and Beccles at the bit at, at the minute. So, uh, if you're listening, Matt, which he probably's not because he's not a great lover of uh, listening to things via Bluetooth whilst he's driving hope you're having fun but joining me as always this week uh, in his stately manner where he's back and we are back uh, but he's back from the sandpit welcome to the show as always neville Bones.
1: yes hello it's been it's been quite a week You could say, Uh, but uh, yeah, delighted to be here. So um, yes, Carlos and I were in the sandpit, that is Dubai, at the beginning of the week, and then I was in Dublin on business uh, on Thursday and Friday. Just got back this afternoon, actually. So uh, that was good. Met up with Graham Haley at uh, Heathrow Terminal Five, which was nice. Quick chat with him uh, before we both went to try and miss some of the m25 traffic which is never a good thing but uh, yeah all good and uh, lots to talk about later in the show
0: yes we have got loads to talk about including uh, our recent trip and we've also got a little bit coming up in just a moment from that and some other bits and pieces coming up later on the show but Joining us this week, he's back again, and he's back in his own studio this week, just for a change, which is quite nice, because we haven't seen him with those uh, rather fantastic clocks behind him for a while. So, welcome onto the show. It is, obviously, the legend that is Armando.
2: Hey guys, as always, it is uh, my pleasure to be back. Thank you for continuing to have me on. Uh, I have nothing exciting. I am really just waiting to hear what you guys were up to in Dubai.
0: It's been a, it's been a busy time, yeah. But how are things are yeah. you? Been flying, any air uh, flying? Yeah,
2: yeah. I've been uh, doing a little bit of flying here and there. Do the uh, skydivers last weekend, and then uh, some uh, civil air patrol flying this week. Uh, we got some really cool missions. You know, I've talked about that before, but it's not just search and rescue anymore. So get to fly that that one eighty two all over the the region, and um, yeah, that's about it. But I think the weather is kind of get worse here in north carolina for the rest of the weekend so that is probably the end of my flying for the week
0: so is that like uh, getting towards the winter kind of weather for you guys as well it's start, things are starting to cool down i'm guessing
2: yeah the most challenging part is is doing the skydive flying and you know if there's cloud layers between five and ten thousand feet that pretty much Uh, makes it so we can't jump so you end up just kind of sitting out there at the airfield which is not a bad thing there's worse things to be doing on saturdays and sundays but uh, everybody just looks up at the sky and you just stare at the clouds for a couple hours till somebody decides well you know i think we should just call it a day all right let's go let's go get some barbecue So
0: we've, uh, we've got some great uh, bits coming up from you later as well, Armando. I know we've got uh, the military segment as well coming for you. But a quick mention to everyone who's joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. A uh, quick mention to who we've we got in there, the usual family members. We've got uh, Auntie Liz has joined us in the chat room. Uh, good evening to you. Masha is in the chat room. We've got Chris Griggs. And uh, we've got Jenny in Rome. Hello to you, Jenny. Uh, David Corston a face we haven't seen in the chat room for some time David hope you are well uh, who else we've got uh, James Russell hello to you James uh Myla hello to you Myla hope the uh, hope the flying's going well uh, Tanya W, hello to you and uh, oh, Neville Bounds is obviously keeping things uh, in check with the Blue Spanner of Death. So it is the 22nd of November and uh, time just coming up to 5 minutes past 9. It's safe to say things are getting cooler here and uh, I must admit it was a bit of a shock when we arrived back in the UK, Nev, this week when uh, we went from 34 degrees temperature to um,
1: 4. Yeah, about four or five, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, but um, no, we had a, a very nice trip back. And uh, those Weakie terribly weed. nice people at British Airways <laughs> uh, offered to upgrade us to the business class oh. bit on the 747. And uh, we thought about it for about a nanosecond. Um, and there we were. So it was brilliant. And the, we had the live flatbeds, which was I have to say that I'm, I've arrived in much better shape uh, just by getting, you know, 90 minutes of sleep or something like that. And uh, then we went to um, have a chat with the crew at the end of it, the, uh, the flight crew. So we're up at the, uh, the bubble in the cockpit, the 747 for, oh, what was it? 20, 25 minutes. And we were there for <laughs> so long that they'd actually taken the air bridge away from the aircraft. So we had um. to get that reconnected and then get the first officer to let us out of the um, <laughs> the gate area as well uh but um it was great and then of course we had the a350 1000 trip uh out there on saturday that is a very nice aircraft it was so quiet i really enjoyed that as well um but uh, yeah we've we've had a great time i've got to say i know that ba comes in for an awful lot of stick but i've got no complaints whatsoever about the flight crew or the cabin crew or the service. I think both flights that we had were exceptional. And uh, yeah, we, we made sure we, we thanked them as well because they uh, they made our trip uh, really nice.
0: Actually, just uh, looking here, there's a nice picture here, actually, what I'll put up on the screen. For those of you watching uh, YouTube land, there uh, we go, Nev.
1: Yeah, I think my shirt's a bit tight there. I think um, <laughs> due to uh, operational difficulty. Though um, no, it's
0: safe to say, okay, there we go. Just, just for benefits' sake, there we go. There is was um, me relaxing in uh, God, in that look at him in that uncomfortable seat. But it, no, it was it was incredibly comfy. I tell you, it's uh, it was a nice treat uh, from the guys at BA. That's yep. for sure. So. Um, if you're watching, I know that uh, uh, one of the crew members, I think, uh, is uh, is following us on Twitter now. Nev, I'm pleased mm. to say, which is quite yep. nice. So yeah. So uh, we've got loads to get through on this show, and uh, we are going to go and kick off things with some aviation news. So if everyone's ready, yes, yes, yes. I'm ready Monday. to go. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story, this one is on simpleflying.com. And uh, the headline is, uh, well, it's a headline that was actually brought to my attention uh, a few days ago from uh, someone uh, we all know and love in the industry. And uh, this is uh, why we're excited for Emirates' new premium economy cabin. So they've resisted the trend for quite some time now, as we all know, but Emirates will start rolling out premium economy class uh, seating on some of its aircraft from 2020. uh, In what is a case of getting on board or missing the flight, Uh, The Dubai-based airline will start installing the seats on their A380 aircraft and 777s, 300ERs and also their A350s. Uh, the uh, We'll see the new premium economy seats on the new A380s being delivered next year. Emirates reckons its premium economy cabin won't be run-of-the-mill premium economy. It will be special, they say. Uh, Emirates CEO Tim Clarks has said it will be like the business class cabins of the yesteryear, uh, before business class went all live flat seats and sliding doors and one-to-one configurations. So premium economy makes uh, for a great compromise between economy class and expensive live flat seats. The cabin option really comes uh, to the fore when you have to pay for the seats yourself and wince at the going rate uh, for long haul business class seats. And these seats look set to be pretty comfy. Tim Clark says they will have a 10-inch recline, uh, cradle the legs and feet, be wider than the standard economy seats and have more legroom. It's a good option for daytime flights when you don't necessarily need a lie-flat bed. The Emirates boss says the food and drink service will uh, be a step up from what's on offer in economy class with more personalised service. And uh, the Simple Flying guys here said they've speculated that Emirates will uh, might be choosing the HACO Eclipse seat. Uh, the launch customer for this seat was, uh, as yet unnamed, Middle East-based airline. It looks a pretty decent seat too, they say. Um, so uh, the new premium economy cabin will be rolled out, as we said, on the 380s that are coming in service in 2020. It'll be a really proper cabin and a substantial one, they say here. Uh, On the A380, Mr. Clark has speculated there may be up to 56 premium economy seats, uh, and that's on the A380s. With first class, the premium economy cabins will be at the front of the lower deck. And on A380s, the first, uh, sans first class, the premium economy cabin will be on the upper deck. Um, It's safe to say, I'm glad this has happened we've talked about it for a little while on and off now and i think it was only a matter of time before um, emirates kind of decided to uh, jump on the whole premium economy bandwagon but i will say i mean me and nev sat in the economy seats um on the 380 uh, at the air show and and i mean nev the premium economy cabin to be fair with, with emirates is not shabby
1: no it's not and uh i i think they're going to do very well with this because obviously there's you know, there's a, a bit of a premium price to pay for it too. But uh, as always with Emirates, they're going to do it very well, aren't they? So I, I think there's uh, every possibility that's going to be um, worthwhile. And it's, it looks nice too, doesn't
0: it? It does. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Armando, I'm guessing that uh, premium economy is uh, kind of the thing that you'll be looking to use more or utilize more often. As
2: uh, well, actually, gonna... I, I was wondering if you guys had seen uh anything like this in the at the dubai air show but well one thing i guess i'm not used to it but does emirates have a separate uh, sort of compartment for the premium economy is there a bulkhead i know yeah. on the a380s i think they do yes yeah oh, okay because that'd be interesting right because you're you're premium economy but you've got these completely different seeds that are that are much much nicer and if it's still economy, I thought it would be weird. But I, you know, here in the U.S., just domestic airlines, premium economy is just an ex- you know, It's just in the same compartment as the economy seats. There's just an inch or two more legroom.
0: Yeah, BA separate their um, premium and economy cabin and business class cabin with um, either. Well, they're, they're sort of not so much curtains now. They're kind of an actual divide and wall. Uh, aren't they never just a curtain actually with the yeah joy. yeah
1: and that um, that premium economy uh, the trip we took out on uh, on the A three hundred and fifty one thousand that was brilliant and I actually thought at one stage that my seat um, was in the rec- or, or half reclined <laughs> uh, because it just <laughs> seemed a bit weird but there was just plenty of space and um, I thought that was pretty reasonable actually didn't, didn't you uh, Carlos yes yeah, uh, very comfortable wasn't definitely that? yeah so.
0: Staying with you, Nev, Uh, you are staying on with BA, and uh, it's good news for anyone who wants to fly the Dash 10 Dreamliner.
1: It is. This is on the businesstraveller.com website and uh, it says that British Airways is going to take delivery of its first 787-10 Dreamliner in January of next year with the aircraft entering service to Atlanta in February. That could be a handy destination uh, for us to go to, couldn't it? Uh, the aircraft will be configured with four classes, uh, an eight-seat First cabin featuring the seat currently on BA's 787 uh, 9, a 48 seat Club World cabin with a new Club Suite Business Class, a 35 seat World Traveller Plus cabin, which is the Premium Economy one, and a 165 seat. World Traveller Cabin, which is economy. Uh, BA flies between Heathrow and Atlanta daily and currently operates the route with a Dash 9 or a 777-200 aircraft. BA said that the Dash 10 Dreamliner variant had a, has a carbon fibre fuselage, which allows pressure to be maintained at a lower level in the cabin, offering a better level of humidity with less drying effect. The aircraft is also more fuel-efficient and quieter than its predecessors. Uh, the airline's new club suite, which debuted on the A350-1000 earlier this year, has a 1-2-1 configuration, sliding privacy door, 18.5-inch IFE screen, gate-to-gate entertainment and PC and USB power ports. Uh, BA will eventually take delivery of 12-10s, with six of these arriving in 20. It currently has 12-8s and 16-9 aircraft. BA's CEO Alex Cruz commented, the delivery of our first-10 aircraft marked another significant milestone. In our 6.5 billion customer investment plan. The aircraft delivers a 25% reduction in CO2 emissions compared to the aircraft it replaces, another step towards our commitment to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. It will also offer greater comfort for our customers as it features our latest generation seats in all cabins. Uh, KLM took delivery of its first BA, uh, sorry, uh, Um, Boeing 787-10 in June and is set to receive 15 by 2022. And, uh, again, that's another aircraft I think we need to have a go on, don't you? It looks uh, looks the business and uh, nicely configured too.
0: Yeah, I just popped up the pictures while you were doing a story there, actually, Nev, with the uh, configuration because it does have the configuration on this story, doesn't it, on here. Mm. It's actually interesting to see that they are packing quite a lot of um the well the first first club and the premium economy in here there's the the actual economy section there's not there's a few seats but there's not uh, a massive amount of seats you say yeah
2: that's exactly what i was thinking when you put that picture up is uh that doesn't doesn't look like there's that many economy seats so Mm -hmm. they know where they're making their money
0: it's on the premium economy (laughs) (laughs) yeah So, Armando, next story uh, for you. And uh, this one, uh, well, it's uh, quite an interesting story, I think.
2: Yeah, this is one of a few uh, stories regarding the 737 MAX this week. Uh, leisure Airlines Sun Express increased its order for Boeing 737 MAX planes, delivering a vote of confidence in the jetliner that has been grounded since mid March. The uh, Antalya based. Turkey-based airline exercised options for an additional 10 of the 737 MAX 8 aircraft worth $1.2 billion at list price before routine discounts. Uh, Boeing announced on Monday during the Dubai Air Show. Sun Express is a joint venture of Lufthansa and Turkish Airlines that serves destinations throughout Europe and vacation spots in the Mediterranean and the Black Sea. They had previously ordered 32 of the 737 MAX jetliners. Boeing has obviously struggled this year as it halted the deliveries of its fast-selling 737 MAX and new orders had all but dried up in the wake of the crashes. British Airways parent IAG uh, said during the Paris Air Show in June that it intends to buy 200 of the 737 MAX airplanes, but that order has not been firmed up. The worldwide grounding has eaten into the profits of the airlines with the 737 MAX in their fleets and curbed their growth plans. We are honored and humbled by the trust that Sun Express has placed in our team at Boeing, uh, said Stan Deal, who took over as chief executive of Boeing's all-important commercial aircraft unit last month after the previous CEO was ousted. We regret the impact the MAX grounding has had on Sun Express and their passengers. Uh, Boeing has been scrambling to gain regulator approval of the software fixes for the planes after the flight control system was implicated in both crashes. Drawing harsh criticism and several investigations about Boeing's design and the FAA certification of the airplane in 2017, um, I saw this, and then I saw there was another story coming out of the Dubai Air Show that there was an anonymous order for something like an additional 20 Max aircraft. So, uh, as we've said more than a few times on the podcast, I, you know the airplanes. It will get recertified, and it will have a a bright future. We, we hope, but uh, apparently the airlines are also having you know they have good positive confidence in the aircraft, and that it'll it'll be safe when it gets recertified. So,
0: I know um, as uh, obviously me and Nev were there. I know Boeing had quite a tough start to the show. I think in the in the opening day of the show they sold or they took orders for two. Uh, Dreamliners, but I think by the end of the Dubai Air Show, they actually did rack up a fair few orders um, but uh, I think Airbus would you say Nev kind of won this year with the kind of um polls
1: just yeah sort of it sort of feels as though um uh, Airbus have just picked them uh, there, but uh, yeah, there wasn't much going on with, with Boeing at the start of the show, was there? But they, mm. they certainly uh, picked up ground later on. But um, yeah, it's um, well, there's an awful lot of stuff going on, and uh, as we all know, the Dubai Air Show is a very big commercial environment, and the manufacturers will use it for uh, making big um, order announcements.
0: So the next story. Uh, is on the au website. And uh, <laughs> I like this story. So uh, budget, uh, the headline, Budget Airline Wedding. Hmm. Couple gets married on Jetstar flight. Yeah, not a bad uh, venue for a wedding, I suppose. Uh, so when a trans-Tasman couple couldn't decide on where to get married, they came up with an innovative compromise to tie the knot on a flight midway across the ditch. Hmm, nice. Kiwi uh, Kathy Valiant met her now husband David, an Australian, playing a game of um, called a game called Airport City online. You have to look that one up. Uh, our love of aviation is what brought us together, she says. We chatted for more than a year and then got up the courage to call him for his birthday and sing him Happy Birthday. It just evolved from there, she said. The uh, They first met in person in 2013 when Cathy made her first trip to Australia and says it was literally love at first sight. Uh, David planned to propose on a flight from Brisbane to Melbourne some three years later, but his nerves got the better of him. And so he waited until they were alone on the evening instead. Uh, she said that uh, they wanted their wedding to symbolise their love of aviation uh, and a love for Australia and New Zealand, and with our love for each other, uh, I thought it'd be cheeky and asked a jet or asked Jetstar without telling Dave. She posted on Jetstar's Facebook page with the ask. Fortunately, the airline came to the party arranging for the couple and their wedding party to sit at the front of the flight from Sydney to Auckland. Jetstar employee Robin Holt, who uh, is also a marriage celebrant, wed the couple at 37,000 feet above the Tasman Sea. The marriage uh, will be legally recognised in Australia one has to wonder, is this, uh, is this entire, the entire wedding party accompanying the couple on their honeymoon? It was the most amazing experience and something they said they will ne- uh, remember for the rest of their lives. Uh, <laughs> she says here that she wishes she met uh, him 25 years ago and feel our lives really started when we met. Uh, we definitely love planes and we even have a rule that whoever sees the first commercial flight on any day doesn't cook interesting we'll have to try that one with Gemma um, but uh, I have to say uh, as as for venue or for venues for uh, having your uh, wedding or marriage ceremony that's um, that's up there with the best would you say?
2: This, this is pretty funny considering Megan and I met on a American Airlines flight except for <laughs> it was a CRJ 700 so I, I don't know that there would be much room for for anybody to get married uh, on a, on a Canadair regional jet, this is a lovely story. I, just, I the only thing I'm wondering is, did he get to keep that model of the uh, of the aircraft there in the picture?
0: I don't know. What do you think, Nev? What do you think of the the whole? I mean, could we sort of have a new kind of thing starting here where people well kind of maybe but
1: yeah you, you, you need an aircraft of reasonable size I think to begin with uh, there's not a lot of room as Armando says on the aircraft but uh, no in, interesting concept nonetheless
0: no perhaps that's something we should look into I think uh, weddings on board aircraft uh, yeah, I, well, there we go for those of you watching in uh, YouTube well there we go there's a little picture of uh,
2: the happy couple um, there so we go. if you get married over the Pacific where is the marriage certificate signed? Oh, there's a question. Um, don't know. It's good question, huh?
0: Now we haven't we had this before though. When when you you've got um, children being born on board aircraft. Yeah, that's right.
2: You know where. I guess uh, it's the same would happen if uh, if you died on the airplane. If you had a heart attack on the airplane, <laughs> where, where is the the place of the place of expiration? Is the Pacific. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> anyway moving swiftly on to something uh, hopefully more happier so uh dev the next story
1: Yes, well, this is uh, the, uh, still ongoing stuff about the 737 MAX crisis. Uh, this is on the businessinsider.com. But actually, uh, this relates to the Boeing 777X. Uh, and it says that uh, Emirates, which is one of Boeing's largest customers, said it would put Boeing's new 777X jet through hell on earth before it lets passengers on board as safety fears about Boeing aircraft persist amid the 737 MAX crisis we need to be absolutely sure that as she comes together as she starts flying everything is done in a manner that it should be done tim clark the president of emirates told reporters at the dubai air show on tuesday do you notice that uh, tim clark didn't ask for an interview with us that was interesting wasn't it Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, he says that uh, I want one aircraft to go through hell on earth basically to make sure it all works. Uh, Clark also said that Emirates is likely to get its hands on a 777X for a month or two in August to test it. Uh, Deliveries of the aircraft have been delayed and it's not expected to fly commercially until 2021. Uh, During one stress test, a door on the plane blew off. uh, The aviation site, one one mile at a time, reported last month. Uh, Clark met with Steve Dixon, the head of the uh, FAA, earlier on Tuesday to discuss the 777X's certification process. Uh, The FAA, FAA will take its time and do it the way it wants to, rather than being guided by the manufacturer, Clark said, according to Reuters. Emirates has ordered more of the new Boeing aircraft than any other airline. It ordered 150 in 2013, but has reduced that to 126. Uh, Emirates announced a $9 billion order for 30 uh, Boeing 787 Dreamliners to make up for the reduction in the 777X Planes. Uh, whilst Boeing has new cr- aircraft on the way, the 77 MAX remains the subject of intense scrutiny and criticism following two deadly crashes. As we know, uh, a 77 MAX operated by Ethiopian air- Airlines crashed in March, killing 157 people, which was followed by a Lion Air 77 MAX in October. 2018 that uh, killed 189 people. Um, In case you didn't know the story of this, uh, it says that the aircraft was grounded worldwide in March and an an update to its automated anti-stall system, the software blamed for both crashes, is is being examined by the FAA ahead of a likely return to service in 2020. Uh, But many in the aviation industry remain sceptical of the 737 MAX. The head of an American um, airline staff union said last week that it was some flight attendants were begging not to fly on the plane when it returns uh, recent reports from the new york times and reuters suggested that boeing had pushed a- uh, faa officials to speed up testing and permit early deliveries of the repa- repaired plane uh, boeing ended a sales drought for the 737 max since the crashes by selling 60 of the planes during the first two days of the dubai air show well I don't think we can go on any more about the 737 Max because it's just uh, until the thing is back in the air and everything's working properly there's so much speculation and actually probably a bit too much bad mouthing and and bad news about it when it is only speculation and people don't really know so we'll have to see when it comes back into service but I thought they were a bit optimistic uh, earlier this year saying that it'll be in service by the end of this year but let's see what happens. Um, during the start of next year.
0: Yeah, this story obviously focuses um, probably on the triple seven X, and yeah. um, I don't I don't think they're going to have as you know the the, tro- the problems have happened with the max with the triple seven X. The triple seven, as we heard from um, um, Randy at the air show at Boeing, you know it's it's mm. one of their best-selling aircraft, the triple seven. It's um, you know it's done them really well, and obviously they've had you know it's it's had a, some changes done to it for the X, obviously with the folding wingtips and stuff, but it's a proven uh, thoroughbred,
2: Nev. Yeah. Well, to, to be fair, you know the, the headline for this is they're going to put the aircraft through hell before passengers get on it. Well, to You know, shouldn't every aircraft <laughs> mm. be thoroughly tested before you put passengers on it? I, don't, I guess I don't know what they're going to do different that they shouldn't already be doing for, for aircraft, but I, I suppose it probably makes a good story.
0: So the next story, Armando, uh, for you. I know you weren't there, but uh, I thought we'd uh, let
2: you bring the news from uh, what happened at the air show this year. Yeah, this story is as close as I'm going to get to the Dubai air show. (laughs) Uh, But but it did end on Thursday with Airbus overtaking U.S. rival Boeing in the number of deals, though both plane makers saw slimmer wide-body jet deals that ended in uncertainty around commitments from Emirates, the world's biggest long-haul carrier. Airbus scored 220 plane orders during the week, dominated by a long-awaited narrow-bodied deal from uh, Sharjah, based uh, Air Arabia, but failed to secure an A330neo order from Emirates. Boeing lagged behind with 95 agreements for commercial jets valued at more than one, uh, or actually $17.4 billion at list prices. But managed to secure deals for its embattled 737 MAX, as we said earlier, uh, despite an ongoing ban on the narrow body fleet. Um, the total of $54.5 billion in overall deals were signed at the air show last week. Organizers of the Biennial Commercial and Military Expo said on Thursday without providing a breakdown or comparative figure for 2017, which I'm sure they will uh, soon. Uh, Emirates, the world's biggest operator of wide-body jets, made headlines at its home-based air show with total orders worth about $25 billion during the week. The carrier purchased 40 Boeing Dreamliners while reducing its order of the delayed 777X to 126 airplanes down from an originally planned 150. Uh, Emirates also ordered 50 A350s and slashed an outline deal for the airbus a330 neo wide body plane doesn't say down to how much these calibrated recalibrated orders came as emirates reviews its fleet ahead of the demise of the airbus a380 program while the carrier grapples with a slowing global economy and concerns about the performance of new planes uh see boeing garn uh, managed to garner sales for its troubled 737 max uh, including Air Astana's intention to order 30 of the airplanes, or 30 MAX 8s, uh, 10 737 MAX 8 by Sun Express, as we said earlier, and 20 730 MAXs from an unidentified customer. Um, yeah, the the uh, article goes on. It, it kind of breaks down some of the uh, biggest deals some Saudi Arabian Airlines fly us, getting some A321XLRs, Air Senegal, getting some A220s. And uh, on the military side, the, uh, air, the United Arab Emirates Ministry of Defense signed 51 firm contracts worth something around uh, $18 billion during the air show also. So overall, uh, yeah, pretty good week, I would say, in the aviation industry. I guess it always is with the Paris Air Show, the Dubai Air Show, isn't it? Very true, Armando. And,
0: uh, yeah, we definitely saw a few people walking around that air show, Nev, who I think probably had the uh,
2: wallet capacity to buy these uh, these aircraft. Yes. Yeah, so did you guys see any of these these things going on? As I, I know most of the deals obviously take place, you know, in, in some very nice, well-appointed tents or somewhere. But did, did you see – I'm just curious. You know, I've never been to an air show like this. Is it just an entourage of folks that are wandering around the air show with with the executives? Did, Did you guys see any of that? There was a bit of that, um, but there's also um, pre-prepared
1: press conferences, which uh, we were invited to all the time, but you can't go to all of them, of course. So uh, we actually got better value, I think, interviewing the people on, on the booths uh, in the main exhibition area, as well as the uh, people on the aircraft as well, which is what we ended up doing. But yeah, there was there was a general hubbub of things. And there's w- with these pre-planned press conferences, they're all very well orchestrated. And um, yeah, they want to make sure that the world's press are there, especially when there's a good news story around. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty hectic, especially when we were on the Rolls Royce stand doing some filming, and the sheik himself uh, walks past <laughs> with the most huge entourage of people that you've ever seen. So uh, yeah, that was uh, that was quite interesting, wasn't it?
2: Very cool. I'm super jealous.
0: <laughs> you've got two years to uh, to save up, Armando, and you can come out with us uh, in two years' time yeah we'll see <laughs> <laughs> okay so moving on to uh to the next story this one is on the businessinsider.com website and uh, the headline on here is boeing uh boeing's triple oh, 737 officially lost the title of the world's most popular aircraft airbus competitor just passed it in sales so we all knew this would happen at some point and it's happened so uh the uh Story goes, the crisis that grounded the uh, latest generation of planes, which we've talked about enough times now. uh, Through the end of October, uh, Boeing had recorded 15,136 orders for its 737 models, including all generations of the aircraft. Airbus, however, uh, netted 15,193 for its competitor, the A320, in its family. Airbus had uh, been closing the gap between uh, its plane and Boeing for the past few years, particularly as Airbus introduced its newest version, the 320neo, before uh, Boeing was ready with its 737 MAX. However, the A320 was still more than 400 orders behind the 737 at the end of 2018. The crisis that grounded the MAX is a major contributor, as Boeing has failed to book a meaningful order for the 737 MAX since April, uh, a month after the groundings began. Um, Airbus uh, began taking orders for the A320 back in 1984. Wow, is it really that long ago? Wow. Um, for uh, the uh, Air, the a320 uh, almost 20 years after the 737 was introduced. Uh, Boeing has still delivered more 737s than Airbus has delivered a320s and will likely to hold on to this record for years particularly as the 737 max groundings are due to be lifted soon. Uh, Boeing resumes deliveries Uh, Hopefully next year, the company is expected to have a record delivery year in 2020, according to Air Insight, but Airbus uh, order ledger will likely stay ahead of Boeing for the foreseeable future as the A320 family continues to see strong sales. Uh, by the second day of the Dubai Air Show, Airbus recorded 120 firm orders for the 320 uh, variants from UAE-based uh, Air Arabia, including 20 long-range versions of the A321. Uh, Boeing recorded its second sale since the grinding began with 10 737 Max orders from leisure carrier, as we we're talking about earlier, Sun Express. Uh, at the larger Paris Air Show in June, Airbus uh, booked orders for 273 A320neo jets from about a dozen customers, while Boeing sold. Just two hundred seventy seven 737 Max's to European Airlines conglomerate IAG. However, Airbus continues uh, strong sales with its June introduction of the A321 XLR long-range variant to challenge uh, Boeing's not yet completed NMA or the new mid-sized aircraft, a category above the 737 that means it's uh, unlikely that the 737 will surpass the A320 anytime soon. So they're the big players now. Uh, Airbus is obviously, um, you know, it's uh, taken I think the number one spot. How long that will last, I don't know. Obviously, I think when these, when the uh, ban or the the grinding is lifted on the Max, um, it'll be interesting to see just how quickly this uh, goes back to uh, being, you know, a Boeing leader again. But what do you reckon, guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it will. Uh, the the- I think the, every manufacturer goes through difficulties, don't they? I mean, Airbus had some problems uh, at the beginning with the A320 program. Um, when the 747 came out, it, it nearly bankrupted Boeing uh, because of the high costs associated with it. And it's gone on to be the, one of the most successful aircraft ever built. Um, these things happen. And as we get into the area of uh, high technology, uh, and we're all, uh, every striving for, uh, improved uh, or reduction in fuel consumption, better CO2 emissions and this kind of thing. There's going to be new techniques required to do this stuff. And uh, just remember, we've not been doing this thing very long, really, uh, in terms of the, the higher technology stuff. So um, there's bound to be things that go wrong. But I, I'm sure that it will bounce back after this. No, no question about it.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think they'll they they will. You know, and then, as we said before on the show, once this is all done and dusted, I think the Max will probably be the most um, safest airline to, or airliner to uh, to fly on.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So
2: moving on. Yeah, I, on. Could, I oh, couldn't I oh, couldn't agree more with with Nev. Uh, one of the military stories that I didn't include this week is is right along those lines, where the Airbus A400M uh, was rejected, a couple of deliveries for, I think to the German Air Force. Because of similar issues as the KC 46, you know, where there is a quality control issue before delivery. And, uh, but, you know, Boeing is is taking the brunt of the negative press right now. But, uh, like, just like you said, Nev, every every manufacturer goes through some of these challenges. And, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I
0: have to have to point out, Nev, that whilst we're at the show, the most approachable and, um, very welcoming welcoming uh, people uh, at the show were actually boeing weren't they
1: they were yes, and it's always challenging to get interviews with these sort of people because they they're, they're very They've got these set piece things that they have to do. Um, But uh, we were very fortunate that uh, just by showing up on their stand, they said, well, yeah, we can arrange something for you for tomorrow. And then we went out on the chalet uh, outside in a very nicely air conditioned space um i wish we could have stayed there for the whole of the show because it, <laughs> it was a great vantage point for video wasn't it and oh, yeah. photography but uh, no complaints about boeing's uh, pr department at all they were very very accommodating um and uh, yeah it was a pleasure to talk to the guys there definitely
0: so moving on uh, to the next story uh, which uh, is uh, we, all, we all heard about uh, aircraft factories building these uh, these massive airliners with with robots. But it looks like it's uh, the humans fighting back.
1: Yeah. And I think this, this just goes back to the point we were making earlier on about, you know, things do go wrong uh, in manufacturing from time to time. And this is on the finance and commerce website. Uh, it says, uh, after four years of trial and error, the Boeing company is dumping m- one of its most ambitious forays into automation, the robots that build two main fuselage sections for its 777 jetliners and an upgraded version uh, which we know as the 7 uh, sorry triple seven x of course uh, instead the chicago based plane maker will rely on skilled mechanics to manually insert fasteners into holes drilled along the circumference of the airplane uh, by an automated system known as flex tracks which it has honed over years of use um, on the 787 dreamliner the shift to the new human plus machine system began during. during the second quarter and should be complete by the end of this year. Uh, Boeing spokesman Paul Bergman, said in a statement that Boeing doesn't plan any change in total staffing for its 777 uh, aircraft, uh, which are manufactured in Everett, Washington, which is about an hour north of Seattle. Why we need to know that? I don't know. Uh, The flex-track solution has proved more reliable, requiring uh, less work by hand and less rework uh, than than what the robots were capable of, he said. As tempting as automation can be with its promise of a a mechanised workforce that never gets uh, sick, tired or hungry, manufacturing Factors are finding some cases where the technology cannot ma- uh, match the dexterity, ingenuity and precision of human hands and eyes. Uh, Tesla Incorporated f- uh, famously tried to ditch workers for highly automated car and battery assembly lines that ended up undermining initial production of the Model 3 sedan. Uh, Boeing's fully automated initiative, known as FAUB for fuselage automated upright build, uh, relies on robots working in tandem to... To drill holes precisely and fasten together metal panels held upright to create the outer frame of the hulking twin engine jets. The technology was the handiwork of Kuka Systems, a company with deep automobile uh, manufacturing roots. It was intended to replace the human uh, mechanics who used handheld tools to insert 60,000 rivets into each plane. The robots were showcased as part of the advanced manufacturing that Boeing is pioneering, pioneering on the 777X and that it plans to expand to future jetliner programs next decade. A spokeswoman for advanced integration technology which bought the Kuka division that made Boeing's robots declined to comment on the planemaker's decision to switch to a different technology. But the planemaker struggled to keep the robots moving in sync on the outside and inside of the fuselage panels, creating production snarls when it first introduced the FAUB technology to the legacy 777 line. A Seattle Times report from 2016 described a swell of worker overtime and incomplete jobs that were finished after jets rolled out of the factory. It was hard. It took years off my life says uh, Jason Clark, who's the Boeing uh, vice president overseeing the 777 production uh, during inter- interview this year. Uh, the robot flub isn't a complete loss. Uh, Boeing learned some valuable lessons from its first very deep dive into that type of technology, he said. It's taught us how to design for automation. Well, you know that's you. These things are going to happen, aren't they? And I think as long as the the quality control side of things picks it up, and if they can find alternative manufacturing processes, then that's still still a good thing, isn't it? But um, yeah, robots can't do everything. That like, just goes to show, it, doesn't it?
0: You can't beat the uh, the good old fashioned Mark One eyeball, isn't that yeah. true, Armando?
2: Yeah, that's correct, and I I can't imagine. <laughs> A robot drilling a hole in a fuselage in the wrong place. Can you imagine how costly that is for the rest of that build? Yeah, <laughs> I mean these are these are structural, and you know the, it could affect the the pressurization of the. It's not something you just patch up. So it's probably a pretty costly, not even mistake, just pretty costly lesson learned.
0: Especially if yep. things are doing uh, updates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or if they're, if they I mean, they possibly might be Windows uh, operated systems. Nev. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on to uh, to the next story, Armando, and uh, this is a special story for anyone who loves uh, Star
2: Wars. Yeah, I hope you can put up the pictures for this one. But yeah. uh, Luke Skywalker may have claimed the Millennium Falcon was a piece of junk when he first saw it even though it could, you know, make the uh, 0.5 past light speed. uh, He probably wouldn't be saying that about United Airlines' shiny new Boeing 737-800. To celebrate the December theatrical release of The Rise of Skywalker, billed as the last film in the nine-film Skywalker saga, the airline has launched a special Star Wars-themed plane. And though it can't travel at light speed, it does look pretty spiffy or at least nothing at all like the heavily modified ship of a certain scruffy-looking nerd, nerf herder, uh, Han Solo. Oh, my gosh. I'm totally not a Star Wars guy. Me um, neither. Which makes me a Star Trek <laughs> guy, by the way. Well done. Well There's done. always that debate. That Correct uh, The plane made its first flight earlier this month from Houston to Orlando, Florida. There were plenty of evil First Order stormtroopers on hand. Thankfully, no one was taken away by questioning by Kylo Ren. (laughs) Here's what the airplane looked like outside and in. So very cool paint job. Uh, I saw a quick story on this, but uh, yeah, Carlos, you're looking or you're popping up those pictures. Uh, Go over to insider.com and check it out or you can just Google it. But there is some pretty fancy paint work on this aircraft and some really detailed uh, graphics. So even the, uh, the headrests. I, I don't know if you popped that picture up, but the headrests have the uh the Star Star Wars uh, resistance and the uh what is it, the the new the bad guys? Oh my god, I'm gonna get ousted. <laughs> <laughs>
0: David Vanderhoff if you if you're listening. Yeah. Oh my word, he'd be
2: uh he'd I know upset. I'm, I'm murdering this, but go over, Google it, check it out. Um very, very cool paint job. Actually, I think and, this, and is, this is this is what this is what you're
0: talking about in this Armando.
2: Uh, that's it that's exactly it They're, uh, yeah. they, they've even taken the step to uh, to make the seats that way and, uh, and Lane Street in the chat room always Captain Kirk really the question is per- Kirk or Picard yeah Captain Kirk absolutely yeah
0: for, I, I think for me I'd, I'd have to say Picard next gen
2: <laughs> all right the debate okay. the the rivalry shall continue <laughs> and we uh oh. we will turn this into a different podcast <laughs> actually on
0: the subject going back on to uh to paint jobs on aircraft um there was a as an etihad dreamliner at the uh, at the show that had a blue uh, kind of paint job on but it had a lot like of metallic fleck like a metallic kind of um sparkle to it and it, it was even close up the it was perfection the actual you know the paint job on the aircraft was absolutely perfect and it was very uh, very nice to see well
1: didn't the uh, the chap at boeing say that it, it was a, a wrap it rather was a than wrap. a, a, a uh, um you know a specific paint job um which was incredible i just wonder how much weight that added to the aircraft but it certainly looked spectacular didn't it it was, it was really good oh yeah next
0: story in the edition.cnn.com website. This I found this story this afternoon and um, it was on a few of the uh, news um, kind of outlets. And I just all of when I saw this, I just thought about that uh, film with Leonardo DiCaprio that I only watched a few weeks ago. But uh, this one uh, man arrested at Indian Airport for impersonating Lufthansa pilot. So uh, frequent flyer Rajan Mahabahani uh, thought he had discovered the ultimate hack for getting preferential treatment at airports. Instead, it got him arrested. In that case, it's been compared to the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, conman movie Catch Me If You Can. That's the name of the film. There we go. The 48-year-old allegedly donned the uniform of a Lufthansa pilot in order to fool car- airport workers uh, into letting him bypass security lines and get seat upgrades. <laughs> it apparently worked as well. Uh, right up until the point, he was caught at Delhi's Indira Gandhi International Airport on Tuesday evening this week. Uh, Mubhani was dressed in a pilot's uniform when arrested at the departure gate as he was about to board an Air AirAsia flight from Delhi to Kolkata, police said. Uh, Son J. Bahita, the airport's deputy commissioner, told police uh, at CNN that a Lufthansa employee had alerted in airport security that a suspected passenger was impersonating a captain of Lufthansa Airlines. Uh, this came after AirAsia had called Lufthansa to verify his identity. Uh, Mohabani, it uh, was from New Delhi, was uh, detained and handed over to the New Delhi police and he was found carrying fake Lufthansa pilot IDs that he used to gain privileges at airports. Wow. After the arrest, uh, he, told, uh, he said that he used to shoot YouTube and TikTok videos on aviation uh, aviation bits. Well, I've just Yeah, Aviation obtained Lufthansa fake ID cards, which he obtained in Thailand, he said. Uh, the airport uh, security officials were already on the lookout for him, apparently because of the videos he posted on social media platforms. Uh, police said that he subsequently told them that he likes to dress up in uniforms, and they recovered pictures of him dressed in army uniforms on his phone as well. He said that he was a frequent flyer and uh, used to dress up as a pilot to gain easy access through security and get preferential treatment from security gates and airlines and seat upgrades. Perhaps we should have tried this, Nev. Uh, He would also use uh, the passage normally used by airline cabin crew. He's now in custody facing charges of cheating and impersonating, and if convicted, he could face a year in prison or a fine or both. Uh, Mahabani's alleged impersonation recalls the life exploits of serial fraudster Frank Abagnale who impersonated flight crew to get free travel during a career of crime that was later dramatised by Steven Silberg's uh, film the 2002 movie Catch Me If You Can. It's not only the case of identity switch seen in India lately. In September uh, 32-year-old Jayesh Patel was arrested at the same airport for impersonating an 81-year-old in an attempt to board a New York flight to New York wow there is some quite determined people out there I will say um, I mean actually the uniform I mean I'll pop the picture up in just a second but um, I mean if you saw this guy at the airport you after what we saw at the air show Nev, you'd probably say yeah yeah, he's a, he's a pilot
1: mm. yes uh, but it, it, it does prove isn't it that um, people have obviously if he's got a fake ID uh, that's, that's a problem straight away. Um, but, um, yeah, d- don't do it. D- don't impersonate uh, airline or flight deck crew. It's never a good thing. And you can just dress up like Carlos and I did, and you can get an upgrade. <laughs> you, you don't have to dress up like a captain. Um, but, uh, no, a silly chap. Um, I think he has uh, made a, a massive error there.
0: Yeah, all you need to do is, is dress up as PTUK, and, no. yeah. No. yeah the, the Which is awesome. a
2: great moment to mention you can get your PTUK shirts on the website and get upgrades.
0: Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah, that's the so thing, So, basically, the upgrade only costs you, how much are the shirts, Fifteen ninety dollars 15, like
0: yeah, 1599 yeah. So, wow. if, if you do fancy uh, getting yourself an upgrade on a flight, uh, we're not going to guarantee this will
2: actually work, but it's a good, you know, good chance it might do. Uh, yeah.
0: Just take yourselves over to the website.
2: What is it, 50% of the time? It'll work all the time. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Oh, dear. Anyway, moving swiftly on to to the next story. And, Nev, uh, this one uh, is... uh, well, a first-of-a-kind air- aircraft, apparently, for this uh, airline.
1: Mm, yeah, this is on the uh, West Michigan uh, website, and um, it says that a world's first-of-its-kind was debuted, um, debuted I would say, not debuted, in uh, West Michigan at the uh, Gerald R. Ford International Airport on Wednesday. Uh, United Airlines showed off its new Bombardier uh, crj 5 50. Uh, the aircraft was already debuted and in flight from Chicago. Sarah Murphy, United Airlines for United Express Senior Vice President, said it was a long road in creating a new aircraft, but the positive feedback from customers made it all worthwhile. Uh, all designed with the customer in mind, that's something United has been solely focused on, is making sure that the customer is at the centre of everything we do, she said. One thing we know uh, that's been a big pain point on small regional jets is on a small 50-seater jet, you don't have any space. You couldn't bring your bag, you didn't have any extra legroom, and there wasn't a first class. Now, this aircraft has 10 first class seats, 20 economy seats with legroom, and 20 standard economy seats, and every person can get the their bags on board uh, the new aircraft with only 50 seats offered true offers true first class seating with plenty of room for both the first class cabin and more legroom for every seat in the aircraft according to united airlines and there's also room for every bag on board For travellers looking to book a seat, there's a virtual seat map tour to make your selection easier. After the flight attendant comes by, first class travellers are able to get their own snacks and non-alcoholic beverages from the self-serve snack bar. Uh, the flight attendant will come through and serve everyone on board. So we won't lose that great flight attendant service. But what we've heard from our customers is they want to come in and manage their own flights. So we want to give them their own opportunity. This is something you'd only ever find on international wide-body aircraft, Murphy said. The CRJ-550 is already in flight throughout the U.S., and United Airlines says that half its flight from the Gerald R. Ford International Airport will be using the new aircraft. The airliner says it's planned to have 15 in the fleet by the end of 2019 and 54 in the fleet by summer 2020. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because that's the, often the complaint uh, with the smaller regional jets is that there's just not enough room um, for your bag or for legroom. But uh, I think they've done a nice uh, nice job with this by the sounds of things. So we uh, will be interesting to see how it goes. Armando,
0: have you had a chance to flying one of these yet?
2: Uh, not the new CRJ550, but looking at the pictures, well done, absolutely well done because... If you look at the seat map, there is now a baggage compartment almost as, uh, you know, the trains in the UK, right? So you get on in through the door and you turn left or right into the seating area, but there is a place to put your bags. And from those pictures, it looks like they are able to fit, you know, a pretty good portion of the carry-on bags on on that aircraft. So very cool. That Now that's talking about some innovation you know and that's a pretty positive move i think for for uh, canada or airbus whatever we want to call it the um yeah very very cool because the crj on the left side the pilot side the overhead compartments aren't big enough it's just got sort of a sliding door enough for maybe a personal item or, or laptop bag so there was there was always a fight to get your bags onto that aircraft so um the the self-serve snack bar man i don't know how i feel about that most of these flights aren't going to be that long anyways so it's probably some some money savings there taking out a lot of the heavy uh components you know that that's where the coffee makers were the food the ovens and all that stuff they've probably taken all of that out in in favor of a self-service sort of food bar like you would find at a hotel but um either way looks great and uh crj's uh you know pretty common aircraft that's that's probably the staple of the regional fleet here in the united states so i hope other airlines follow this this sort of um, retrofit
0: so uh armando sticking with you the next story obviously obviously, Hello. obviously as everyone knows we're coming up to the winter period here uh, in the uk and uh obviously we have just tons of snow in the uk i mean you know we're talking you know we have 400 foot snow drifts here in the uk every year um no we don't really do we nev <laughs> no
2: <laughs> no. and if you go over to weather.com where we got this story uh, the very very first picture that you see on there is a picture of denver international airport completely blanketed in snow and the only thing that doesn't look like snow is the runways that have been carved out of those snow drifts so Uh, Flight delays due to weather are a costly reality, especially at some of the busiest airport hubs in the United States. But where exactly are you most likely to encounter one? So this website uh, dove into the U.S. Department of Transportation's Bureau of Transportation Statistics to find out which worse you can find below. Uh, Some 37% of all arrival delays from October 2018 to September 2019 Uh, The latest in a 12-month data period available were actually due to weather. This amounted to 518,602 (laughs) weather-delayed arrivals, totaling over 37 million minutes. So that's the equivalent of over 70 years of weather delays. Uh, Flight delays are also huge uh, economic uh, or take a huge economic impact and uh, economic toll Uh, In 2010, the FAA sponsored a study estimated $32.9 billion total cost to the U.S. economy due to flight delays. That's more costly than all of the hurricanes in the U.S. except for Katrina, Harvey, Maria, Sandy, and Irma. A 2007 congressional study estimated 740 million gallons of additional jet fuel was burned due to flight delays about 5% of the total fuel consumption. So our list or or weather.com's list of most weather delayed major airports, they considered the raw number of weather delays as well as the percentage of all delay minutes due to weather at these airports. So we'll just jump right into them. So number 10 is George Bush Intercontinental Airport. So that's IAH. Uh, Weather delays was ninth most percent of the time delayed due to weather 40%. So, uh, and then the prevailing weather issues are thunderstorms and fog. The next one is Dallas, Fort Worth international airport. Uh, weather delay is 170,000 per year, 35%. It's the 11th highest. The prevailing weather issues are thunderstorms, fog, rare snow or ice. Uh, Let's see, number eight, John F. Kennedy International Airport. With 46% of the time, you're going to be weather delayed. Uh, Weather issues are snowstorms, low clouds, fog, wind, thunderstorms. Next one is Philadelphia International Airport. You are 50% likely to be delayed for weather because of low clouds, fog, wind, snow, and thunderstorms. Next one is Boston Logan 49% of the time you're uh, likely to be delayed because of snowstorms and fog. Next one is Denver International Airport, and there's a great picture accompanying this one. Uh, Let's see. Looks like 40, uh, just about 41% of the time you'll be delayed for weather for snowstorms, thunderstorms, hail, and tornadoes. Uh, Next one is New York's LaGuardia Airport. Uh, 58% of the time you're going to be weather delayed for snow, low clouds, fog, wind, and thunderstorms, which is a recurring theme for New York. And I think main man Micah in the chat room can uh, probably attest to this living up in the Northeast. Let's see, third highest is Chicago O'Hare International Airport. Uh, Percent of the time delayed due to weather is 52% of the time for snow, low clouds, fog, wind, and thunderstorms. I guess there is a reason they call it the Windy City. Number two, San Francisco International Airport. Uh, This is not gonna surprise anybody, but low clouds and fog will mean that you will likely be delayed 63% of the time for weather. And number one, right next to all the other ones, Newark Liberty International Airport. Percent of the time delayed due to weather, 67% the highest in the entire country due to snow, low clouds, fog, wind, and thunderstorms. So basically stay away from the Northeast United States if you want to get anywhere on time.
1: That's what I'm surprised at is that uh, DFW was in there uh, and they're talking about snow and, and fog. Um, I, I'm really surprised that they have any of that. I mean, thunderstorms, yes, definitely, because of, of the humidity and, and the heat down there sometimes, but in the summer especially. But, uh, yeah, I'm surprised that uh, uh, they suffer from fog as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's – anytime it snows in central Texas, it, it's basically like snowing in the UK. Everything comes to a – a halt and yeah. uh, it just creates chaos down there and, and i think a lot of these are hubs so it their weather delays at the out stations are probably continue or contributing to the weather delays at the hub itself yeah. um, that's kind of the theme that i saw with this but yeah so basically like time to spare go by air
1: mm.
0: What about Heathrow? That's not on there. <laughs> we should do a top. We should do a top ten for the UK, Nev. I think of uh, airports that get uh, regularly shut down in bad weather. Well, the UK. probably
1: Leeds Bradford will be right up there. I would imagine because it's the highest airport elevation in the UK. Um, the Channel Islands. Uh, I understand that they get or well, Jersey at least. I don't know about Guernsey, but uh, I think Jersey got, gets fogged in over 70 days in the year, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and certainly some of the Scottish airports uh, up in the uh, Shetlands and Orkney areas, especially I would have thought. so. Um, but then I'm no meteorologist, uh, as you may have gathered, so I'm just putting it out there as, as what my guess might be.
0: And as usual this year, I see, Nev, that there's the usual uh, scaremongering going on in social media with saying that we're going to get, again, we're going to get the coldest winter ever. In history,
1: mm, yes. Well, uh, last winter we were going to have lots of snow, and I, don't, I think we had a few flakes of it here we where we six, live, yeah. um, but th- nothing more than that. So, um, I, I really don't know how you can forecast weather that far out anyway, uh, because as the winds change, um, it blows different weather in, doesn't it? So, we just have to see what we get.
0: I think the worst we get here, ever is, is a sharp frost.
1: Mm, well,
2: yeah. Hey Carlos, but before yeah. we move on, I wanted to share a picture that, uh, John Jester sent from the chat room. And, uh, oh, wow. so as you guys know, I've known John for almost 30 years now, and he went from being a regional jet pilot on the CRJ. Sorry, the Bombardier, 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 according to Lane bombardier. in the chat room, Bombardier, uh, yeah, so this is the. he went straight from the CRJs over to flying for a large cargo company. And this is a picture that he just sent me uh, from him in his airplane. He's a right seat on a 747 now. And I told him, hey, that nose wow. is about to fall off your airplane. And he just said, <laughs> well, it's a sunshade for the cockpit. He,
0: he, oh, could, he could literally fit the aircraft he used to fly within that aircraft. Without yeah. a doubt. <laughs> that's pretty uh, cool, pretty that's cool pretty isn't good. it? That is really good. I'm going to let
1: him off the uh, vertical picture because it's such a good picture and it lends itself beautifully to the uh, the vertical format.
2: <laughs> That's it. He was just framing it for you, Nev. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, uh, for those of you guys watching uh, in the in the world of YouTube and uh, listening to the show as an audio podcast, will know that me and Nev uh, had a little flight across to uh, Dubai for the air show and um we had a, we had a good time and we also got loads of content for the show which we will be playing out uh, over the course of the next uh well quite a few weeks actually we've got quite a lot of content to play out but we did do a little intro part didn't we nev so uh i'm going to play yes. that for you right now so you join us then on our first day here at the dubai international air show 2019 me and nev have uh, made the trek from the uk across to uh, where i can say it is definitely warmer than it was when we left uh, yesterday uh, evening or afternoon from uh, london heathrow so we're here the sun's shining and uh, there's loads and loads of stuff to see here uh, as well as uh, as you can probably see behind us the uh, dash nine dreamliner from boeing uh, there's lots of other aircraft uh, just further up the flight line which uh, we'll be having a look at later so nev your first time here at the uh, air show. Yeah, uh, First impressions.
1: Yeah, absolutely superb. Yeah, it took us a long while to get in. It was uh, an hour and a half of the media queue, wasn't it? But um, really good. Yeah, a lot to see. So this is day one, obviously, so we've got a lot to do. But you may have noticed that uh, Carlos is missing something. Where are those sunglasses? I can tell you <laughs> they're back in the hotel room. Yeah, my sunglasses are back in the uh, hotel, uh, which is around
0: about 40-minute uh, drive from here. Um, I have just been into the duty-free shop here at the hotel, or at the airport, I should say, to uh, to, to see if I can purchase some sunglasses. The cheapest pair being uh, just shy of 132 pounds. Ah. So I, I think I'll just uh, squint and bear it. I
1: think for uh, for the for the day. But uh, yeah, we've, we've got a lot to do, Nev, haven't we? Yeah, lots. And uh, got some interviews lined up, uh, people to talk to, planes to see. So let's go and do it. Yep, yeah, let's go.
0: It's safe to say that I did leave my sunglasses in the hotel room, and um, it was a very squinty
1: day on that first day. <laughs> yeah, the, the the light that you get there is incredible, isn't it? And um, yeah, but it was it was really good, um, and uh, the weather was uh, was spot on, wasn't it? Really, really nice. So uh, uh, yeah, it was excellent. Um, so um, next up. Uh, we are going to show you the interview that Carlos did uh, with Jason Sutcliffe of Rolls-Royce. And we've got to thank uh, Daisy, who's, uh, I think she's head of communications at uh, Rolls-Royce Aero Engines in Derby, uh, for helping us with this, because uh, it was a really, really interesting interview. And the the Trent XWB engine was actually on their booth, and it dominated the whole thing, uh, which was amazing. So, uh, Carlos? Let's have a look.
0: So you join me here on the Rolls-Royce stand, and I'm here with Jason. And Jason, welcome onto the show. Thank you. And uh, thanks for uh, taking the time out to come and speak with us about this amazing engine that's behind us here. So
3: what, just tell us about this engine. Okay, so this is the, uh, the Trent XWB. It's currently the world's most efficient large aero engine. Um, built in Derby in the UK, it powers the A350, um, and that's the both variants. So you have the 84k will do the A350-900, and the um, 97k will power the
0: A350-1000. So me and Nev uh, travel here this morning, uh, well early hours this morning. We la- landed here in Dubai, and we actually flew over on uh, BA's A350-1000. Okay, and uh, me and Nev both agreed it's probably the quietest uh, takeoff that we've ever experienced on, a, on an airliner. Uh, it's down to,
3: I think, down to the engine, really, isn't it? Absolutely. So the bypass ratio on these engines, uh, about 9.3 to 1. Um, so the majority of the thrust will come from the cold air rather than the core, um, which is, provides the, the temperature and the heat. So, it, yeah, noise, extremely important nowadays, environmentally as well. So you can imagine um, with a lower noise signature, you can land earlier at airports, you can take off later and you can save the airline not only money
0: but also give the customer value because they can be does ticket prices. So Jason, on a technical view, I mean looking at the engine behind us, it looks very uniform how everything is laid out, I mean yeah. when you look at some of the engines back at the, some of the museums or some of the older generation of engines, it's all a, a bit of a, a mess of wires but yeah. this looks really uniform, is that, is that purely
3: by design? It's by design. So we can virtually design our engines before they're actually coming to service. And we can also virtually maintain the engines before they come to service. So I think we moved about 130 parts on this engine before the design was completed. And that was purely using computer-aided design and our mechanics to try and understand how are we are going to boroscope this, what parts do we need to move, how can we make it more efficient. And that, I think, is really key. But also, on all Trent engines, what you have here... This is the dry side of the engine on the fan case, and on the other side is the wet wet side. So you'll have the oil pumps, fuel pumps, and so forth on the other side, and here you'll have all the the EC and all the electrical parts, which I think is really key when it comes to sort of being very efficient. If you notice, they're on the outside of the fan case, so they're easy to access. So in my other life, I was an engineer, and on the flight line, especially in temperatures like this, the last thing you want to do is go into a really hot engine, burning your fingers and trying to take parts off. Here, they're already in a cold place, so it's a really, really unique way of doing it and ensuring that the mechanics and the two-man times are much quicker than they
0: will be. So the engine itself, obviously Rolls Royce, yep. it's uh, quite a thoroughbred. There's been some, you know, some of the well-known engines I think, yeah, like yeah. the RB211 are powered the TriStar. Yep. Um, one of our favourite aircraft. I will just say, Jason is a big fan of the Tristar as well, so uh, we've got a shared passion there. But uh, where where do you see kind of engine technology going in the future? Because obviously this is the latest technology. Sure. Where do you think the next kind of step okay. is? So, just to go where we've come from, just to get us up to date. 101
3: years ago now, there was an air race that went from um, London to Darwin, and that air race was powered, one of the aircraft that won that was powered by the Rolls-Royce's first ever engine, which is the Rolls-Royce Eagle engine on the Vickers Vimy, okay? Now, just to give you an idea of how far the has advanced between then and now, the Vickers Vimy would fly approximately 36, 37,000 miles in between overhauls, okay? Today's modern engine, so this engine you see here, the Trent XWB, will fly 10 million miles. In between overhauls, wow! It's like that (laughs) sinking a little bit, yeah. Ten million miles in between overhauls, which is absolutely fantastic. But I I generally don't think we're done with the gas turbine engine yet. Um, Going forward, we have um, the the Rolls-Royce Ultrafan, um, and that is a a geared um, wide-body engine. And the the Rolls-Royce Ultrafan uh, is about a 10 to 15% more efficient than the engines that we have today. Going forward, I think we, we are at the cusp of the next generation of, of modern-day uh, engines. So the Ultrafan fan is the next leap, so about 10% more efficient. Bearing in mind that each 1% of efficiency attributes to about $125,000 savings per year per aircraft in wow. fuel. Okay. So it's an awful lot of money that, that we're saving the customers over $1.5-1.6 million dollars. Um, but ultimately the, the, the main goal for sustainability is making our way into the more electrical market. So for some of the advances we, we might see hybrids. And I think we'll start off small with the EV tolls, um, and then go to the regional aircraft. Um, and then looking at things like blended wings. Um, you see the eFan X with Airbus that Rolls-Royce are doing right now. Uh, Rolls-Royce procured um, Siemens E-Aircraft company. So we also have now um, a multitude of of electrical capability. So Rolls-Royce now have a department called Rolls-Royce Electrical and that is purely looking at industrial power for aircraft, power generation, so on and so forth.
0: So on that subject quickly of electric, uh, what are your your thoughts on on the whole electric part? We've talked about on the show, aircraft, commercial airliners being powered by potentially electric. So I think at the moment we're on that cusp, yeah.
3: maybe the, the VHS Betamax, so is it hydrogen, is it electric, um, we'll be you know, looking at all those solutions. We spend over £1.2 billion a year wow. on research and development and that's really important for our future, not only for Rolls-Royce but for the environment, for sustainability and to ensure that we make sure that we, we are here in the next 100 years. We're 100 years, 101 years old, we want to be here around for the next 100 years. So terms of electric aircraft as I say I think we'll start small and we'll grow in size once we get that capability look at battery life yeah the size of batteries yeah. now you, you saw the thing the Nissan Leaf and the thing I mean I'm just going top gear for example there's a car on there, Nissan Leaf it was a 10 year old car brand new it would do I think it was about 220 miles um, with one charge now it does 30 or you know, 10 years later so I think being able to harness that power source maybe through fuel cells is something that we really need to look at um, going forward but I think early 20s you'll see the EV tolls and I, I think it's going to be more of a regulatory issue than a can we make it and design it and get it flying because it's not just making it and flying it it's also about the airspace you know we need the the FAA EASA to certify these aircraft and um, and if they can't get their head around it, then there isn't a business case. So I think we all need to work together as an industry to make sure that this happens going forward because sustainability
0: that has to happen. Jason, before we wrap up, you know, if I might ask a bit about your, your past, how you got to where you are now with Rolls Royce, Sure. Your, obviously your background as. Uh... So
3: I, I joined the Air Force, Royal Air Force, as an aircraft engineer in 19, 1997. I um, spent nearly 20 years in the Royal Air Force and then came to Rolls Royce about 13 years ago. Um, I've, I've done a various roles in operations, um, customers management, and now in marketing. Um, and I enjoy this. As you can probably imagine. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, now, I now live in the UAE. Um, we at our customer service centre, so we have a hub within the UAE that supports our customers in the Middle East, Africa, and Central Asia. Um, and it's a great company to work for, great place to live, so yeah, it's all good. So before we uh, close the
0: interview then Jason, we always ask um, our well the people we interview, the pilots and people within the industry, and especially you with your background, it's an important question for you. Okay. Um, given the chance to fly any aircraft, be it commercial or military, retired or in still in service now, oh. and you could just go outside now, jump in, take out for a spin, what would that be? It's a big fire. Well done, good choice. <laughs> So Jason, on behalf of the Plain Talking UK podcast, thanks for taking time out your day to speak with us. I'm nice sure the out. listeners will absolutely love, uh, you know, to listen to what you've told us today. It's uh, been great to talk to you, and uh, thanks, Indeed. thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Noise. Wow, I have to say that was uh, that was fantastic. We really, uh, really had fun chatting to those guys, and we spoke to um, spoke well before we uh, done the interview and after as well for quite some time uh, with Jason and stuff, and. Uh, I'd just like to point out as well, while we're on the subject uh, of uh, of Jason and the Rolls-Royce stand, that uh, he actually used to work uh, on the best aircraft ever produced in the world ever, uh, which is a TriStar. So, uh, yeah, mm. there we go.
1: Yeah, you can really tell his enthusiasm for the whole thing, can't you? And uh, that's, uh, you'll notice that in these interviews that we're playing out over the, few, uh, the next coming weeks. All the people we interview were very enthusiastic about their products, their jobs uh, and what, what they do. So, uh, yeah, really, really nice to talk to them. And, uh, yeah, Jason and uh, Daisy that set that up for us, uh, thank you very much indeed. We really appreciate it.
0: Armando, what do, you th- what do you think of our first uh, bit of content from uh, the show this year?
2: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, that engine is a work of art. And now that I've been transitioning into this commercial aviation thing and I'm going through the books and studying how the, all of these engines work, uh, that that engine in the background, it, it really does make you appreciate the engineering that goes behind it. But, man, I would just love to have a... Well, I'd love to have a real, a real engine sitting in my living room or something like that, but I don't <laughs> think Megan would like that. And uh, so I'll settle for a poster of one. Cause I, I really do think when you, when you have a, one of those mechanical minds that, that can visualize how all these things are working, what I would have loved to have been there standing next to that engine and have somebody explain to me, Hey, this, this gizmo does that. And that widget does that. And the fuel goes from here to here and the air goes from here to here. So well done, guys! What a fantastic video, and I I can't wait to see the rest of them.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a few more lined up, haven't we, Nev? Uh, yeah. Which, uh, Nev yeah. is Nev is frantically uh, working his way through editing and uh, putting everything together. So, uh, big thanks to Nev as well for uh, putting that. Uh, all together to look
1: as it did. So thanks. Nick. It's a pleasure, and uh, no, it's, it's nice to look at it. And uh, uh, it, it doesn't only. It seems well when we were there, where we went out on Saturday, didn't we? So we actually at the show Sunday and Monday. Yeah. It, for some reason, it seemed a lot longer ago than that. But uh, <laughs> a lot has happened then as well, hasn't it? So I guess that's uh, why. But uh, no, really worthwhile going. And um, thank you to you, Carlos, for suggesting that we went in the first place because it was um, very worthwhile. So thank you. Oh, good, good. On. Hopefully, uh,
0: in a few years' time, when the uh, show is back on again, we can all go out there and uh, have some fun as uh, as the whole team. Perhaps, uh, Amanda. I don't know how much of a how a how much of a trek it is for you to fly from uh, the US to uh, to Dubai.
2: Well, it's long, but I'm never one to shy down from a long flight to an air show. But we can do a, d- a dry run at Oshkosh next year when you guys come over. <laughs> right, <okay. laughs> so anyway, handing
0: things back to you, Armando, uh, for uh, our next part of the show.
2: That's right. Thanks, Carlos. So we've got a few military stories that we've been sitting on. Uh, I think they're important. So if you guys are ready, let's go ahead and uh, and play them out. Let's go. <laughs> Right. So this first story is uh, extra special to me since I just spent a couple weeks up in Colorado Springs and I got to see this airfield in person. But uh, General Benjamin O. Davis, the legendary Tuskegee Airman and World War II pilot, will be celebrated as the Air Force Academy names its airfield after the groundbreaking aviator. For our family, this is the greatest honor we could ask for, said his great nephew, Douglas Melville. The airfield at the academy is one of the busiest airfields in the in the entire world. It is an honor that his name will live on at that airfield until infinity. It should come as no surprise that Davis was all about breaking barriers. His father, a soldier, was the first black general officer in the U.S. Armed Forces. The younger Davis studied at the University of Chicago before following in his father's footsteps into the Army. And enrolling at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point in 1932, where he was immediately ostracized. No one would speak to him unless absolutely necessary, let alone be his roommate. He once said of his years there that he was, quote, an invisible man. Uh, I was to be silenced solely because the cadets did not want blacks at West Point, he wrote in his autobiography in 1991. Their only purpose was to freeze me out. What they did not realize was that I was stubborn enough to put up with their treatment to reach the goal I had come to obtain. In his junior year, he applied for the Army Air Corps, but it was rejected because it did not accept black pilots at the time. After graduating West Point in 1936, he served as an infantry officer in an all-black regiment, according to this news release. But Davis's aspirations to fly were realized only a few years later. At the beginning of World War II, he was assigned to the first training class at Tuskegee Army Airfield in Alabama. Davis earned his pilot wings in 1942, becoming one of the first aviators who would become known as the Tuskegee Airmen. He quickly rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel and at the age of 29, assumed command of the first all-black air unit, the 99th Pursuit Squadron under 12th Air Force. They deployed to Tunisia, Uh, Flying P-40 fighters, the squadron saw combat for the first time in a dive-bombing mission against German-held positions as part of Operation Corkscrew, the Allied invasion of the Italian island of Pantelleria between Sicily and Tunisia on June 11, 1943. He returned to the States in October 1943 to organize and take command of the 332nd Fighter Group, 15th Air Force. Two months later, the 332nd deployed to Italy, where his group, flew P-51 Mustangs to escort B-17s and B-24 heavy bombers over Europe. In the spring of 1945, Davis led a squadron of fighters on a hazardous mission against airfields in southern Germany and was awarded the Silver Star. The unit racked up an outstanding combat record against the German Luftwaffe. Uh, Davis himself flew 60 combat missions during the war and was promoted to the rank of colonel. He continued his air force career at the pentagon and overseas and after graduating the air war college in 1950 he commanded a fighter wing in the korean war and earned his first star in 1954 he was the first black general officer in the air force five years later he became the first african-american to reach the rank of major general and he earned a third star in 1965. he was instrument Uh, Instrumental in desegregating the Air Force and later pushing for women to be accepted into the Air Force Academy according to the release General Davis was all about breaking barriers It was a huge passion of his really because it was so inefficient at the time He looked at breaking barriers as it's the most efficient way to operate as a nation united Davis retired as a lieutenant general in 1970 But in 1998 he was advanced to the grade of general President Bill Clinton pinned his fourth star during a White House ceremony that included the Davis family and the original members of the Tuskegee Airmen. The general died on Independence Day 2002 at the Walter Reed Military Medical Center. This is not the first naming in his honor. The conference center at McDill Air Force Base, where Davis served as deputy commander of U.S. Strike Command, also bears his name. Then in 2017, West Point's newest barracks were named after the te- a trailblazing warrior who had been shunned 85 years before by his fellow cadets. If you want to know what duty, honor, country looked like, just read a little bit about Benjamin O. Davis Jr. and your jaw will drop, said, said Colonel Ty Sejule of uh, head of West Point's history department, after Davis's name was chosen in 2015. This is our chance to acknowledge one of our greatest graduates. So, there you go. Uh, it is an incredible honor to have the Air Force Academy Airfield uh, named after General Davis. Um, I know in Civil Air Patrol there are awards named after him uh, or achievements uh, named after him and he was truly a, a trailblazer in the, uh, in the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. military. So, uh, I look forward to getting back up there and seeing, you know, the uh, all, all of the uh, the plaques and everything that they'll they'll do at the airfield, and if anybody ever gets a chance, go go visit the Air Force Academy airfield because <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. It's got a beautiful backdrop.
0: It's worth noting, actually, uh, Armando on that story. There's a, there's a couple of films. One one of them I've seen. Um, there's uh, the Tuskegee Airmen movie that was back in 1995. There's also the what the Red Tails one, which was back Red in Tails, 2012. Yeah. Um, the Red Tails one I've actually watched um it didn't get very good reviews but it wasn't a bad film be interesting to see i might have to uh, see if i can find the tuskegee Airmen movie the the 95 one and watch that and see what that's like but i don't know whether you've seen those two films or not armando
2: yeah i've seen i've seen both of them and uh you know if you don't pick them apart because we're all aviation enthusiasts and say ah well that's not very realistic (laughs) at the end of the day they're they're pretty good hollywood representations I, i think uh tuskegee Airmen was uh, really good movie. The Red Tails was a little bit more CGI, but uh, yeah. Nevertheless, there it's important to remember these folks and these these trailblazers, as the article said. And and if you ever get a chance to visit Tuskegee, I, I was there a couple years ago. I think 2016. I was I was there at the Tuskegee Army Airfield, and they have a wonderful museum to the Tuskegee Airmen, and and they have some aircraft there, and and you can walk the same. Uh, paths that that these gentlemen did at the time and it's pretty uh pretty sobering yet inspiring at the same time
0: have you seen any of those
1: films nev at all no i haven't because no. i should have done really shouldn't i but i've you just been so <laughs> uh, no if it, i mean yeah documentaries and that kind of stuff i probably would do but um yeah i'm not a huge film fan i have to say
0: So, the next story is on the warbirdsnews.com, and uh, this is really good news for anyone who uh, loves the uh, F 117, uh, which is they are so cool up close. Uh, The retired F 117A Nighthawk will debut on static display at uh, Reagan Defense Forum. The Lockheed 117A Nighthawk though long since officially retired, still conjures the imagination given its secretive nature and storied combat history as the world's first true stealth combat aircraft. While there are persistent rumors of a handful of the types still serving in secret test airframes, most surviving examples are still mothballed in semi-dismantled storage, far from public view. Of the four Nighthawks currently on display, all are pre-production YF-117s which never saw combat. However, that is soon to change, according to a press release from Lockheed Martin. F-117 Alpha 82-0803 will soon go on display at the Ronald Reagan President Library and Museum. The airframe reportedly flew 78 combat missions, more than any other example of its breed. The joint project, referred to as Operation Nighthawk Landing, was made possible by a permanent loan to the Reagan Foundation from the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force. To support the Air Force in their loan, the Lockheed Martin's famed Skunk Works is restoring the aircraft in preparation for its permanent exhibition at the Reagan Library. Well, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and its institute uh, is a non-profit organization created by President uh, Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with the continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy and national pride. The foundation is a non-partisan organization which sustains the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum in Simi Valley, California the Reagan Center for Public Affairs, and the Presidential Learning Center, uh, the Air Force One Pavilion, and also the award-winning Discovery Center, as well as the Reagan Institute, which carries out the Foundation's work in Washington, D.C. Uh, The Reagan Library houses over 55 million pages, of uh, gubernatorial, presidential and personal papers and over 60,000 gifts and artifacts chronicling uh, chronicling, uh, chronicling the lives of Ronald and Nancy Reagan. It also serves as the final resting place of America's 40th president and his first lady. Uh, So... There's a few pictures on here which I'll pop up in just a second, but um, I must say uh, I'm under this museum. I, I need this is one of the ones I think I need to um, pay a visit to by the looks of uh, what they've got on inside here.
2: Yeah, the the U.S. Air Force Museum at Wright Patterson Air Force Base Number One is free. Uh, free? It yeah, yeah, it's absolutely free uh, because it's government. Uh, the government can't charge the public, so it is an air force. All the aircraft in there belong to the air force. And you see examples of every notable aircraft in military history and air force history. Uh, Probably the highlight of that museum is the presidential hangar where you can walk through and see the, uh, you can actually walk through the 707 that was air force one that carried uh, president John F. Kennedy's body back from Dallas. Um, There are the, um, Oh gosh, Micah in the chat room, helped me out. The Columbine uh, was, I believe, was President Eisenhower's um, aircraft. Uh, there, there's, there's five or six hangars plus an outdoor section of military aircraft. And being in an Air Force museum, when aircraft are retired, they kind of get first dibs on on some of these examples. uh um, ah, that's it. That con- it was a constellation, the Columbine. Yeah, it's it's uh, also sitting there, and I. There, there it's just a, a great museum to go to if you ever are lost in Ohio <laughs> and you end up in Dayton. Uh, I don't think anybody goes to Dayton, Ohio as a final destination, but, uh, yeah, it, now this aircraft is going to be sitting at the Reagan library, uh, which is, I believe in California. So, uh, it's a little bit further away, but, uh, very, very cool. You know, the F one seventeen had a long, a long history and, and, uh, I love that it flew for five years before the public even knew about it. You know, it wasn't unveiled until 1988, I think. And uh, just a great airplane and always a treat to see one up close and and see what they look like.
0: Nev, the last story has been left for you, and I think Armando chose you this story because it's on a certain website.
1: Yes, I think he it did. It's on Flight Global. I and mean, Actually, we did see the guys on the Flight Global <laughs> did. uh, booth, didn't we, uh, yeah. in, in Dubai? So we should have gone up to them and said, what a great font they have <laughs> on their website. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, during uh, our time in Dubai, the uh, Lockheed Martin LM100J gets FAA type certification. And this was uh, approved after 150 hours of flight testing under the supervision of the FAA, says Lockheed. Uh, the Air expects the first examples of the LM-100J to enter service during the first quarter of 2020 with Palace Aviation after the operator's maintenance, crews and pilots are trained over the course of the coming months in Marietta, Georgia. Palace provides cargo services for the mining and oil and gas industries. The LM100J is based on the C-130J-30 Super Hercules, a stretched and modernised version of the original C-130 Hercules military cargo transport. The C-130J-30 received an FAA type certification in 1998, but was not sold to commercial customers. The uh, LM100J is an updated version, of the C-130J-30 with new avionics, a new flight management system and carbon brakes amongst uh, other improvements for the commercial market. The manufacturer is also touting FAA-approved training through its Hercules Training Centre in Marietta. It also has an FAA-certificated commercial maintenance plan, a feature not incorporated in the Super Hercules because of the lack of a market for the commercial variant in the late 1990s, says Lockheed uh the LM100J has a slightly greater payload which is uh 19.8 tons uh, which is uh, 43,700 pounds uh, compared with its uh, military predecessor uh, which carries about 1.4 tons less. Uh, The original C-130 Hercules received its type certificate in 1965 and Lockheed said that it sold 115 examples of that aircraft's commercial variant named the L-100 transport. However production of the L-100 stopped in 1992 and there are 35 of the type still flying, says Lockheed. The company expects operators of those aircraft to make up a large portion of the LM-100J's future orders a lot of these commercial operators are very closely watching this type design uh, update so that they can come up with a business case to recapitalize their aging fleets uh, says Mary Lou Franklin who's the director of the uh, LM100J FAA type certification they do appreciate the niche capabilities of the airplane Uh, Lockheed says that it's targeting commercial customers in industries such as aerial firefighting humanitarian relief operations, mining logistics, oil and gas exploration, and oversized cargo transport. However, the firm also sees a market for the aircraft with some governments. Uh, we do think there's a place for the LM100J in uh, some government operator fleets, says uh, Tony Fries, who's uh, Vice President of Business Development for Air Mobility and Maritime Missions at Lockheed. Given the LM100J's commonality with the C-130J uh, we and the historic trend of some governments having both platforms, we think this could be very much the case for the LM100J. The Airframer says that it has five uh, LM100Js orders. Uh, Two of those orders are bound for palace, uh, whilst the other three are for undisclosed customers. Uh, Ultimately, the company believes the program could sell 25 to 45 of the LM100Js. So that's uh, uh, how to drag out a bit more uh, life from a, an airframe that goes back to uh, the mid 60s quite interesting isn't
2: it yeah it actually goes back to the 50s oh it
1: does um, of course it does yes yeah
2: yeah the uh, so the it's funny because anytime you see any of these aircraft the, in commercial livery you kind of do a double take and say eh, is that a c-130 but uh, yeah so i was looking it up and and as far as commercial operators there's a there's a few. There's trans Linden Air Cargo, Safe Air, Libyan Arab Air Cargo. Uh, each of these with five, around five aircraft. And then there's military operators that are, that are operating the civilian version of the C-130. And I'd be interested as to why that is. Maybe they're, they're cheaper. But um, yeah, this, uh, there's a great video from, I believe, Farnborough of the LM what is it? the LM 130 (laughs) LM 100 uh, J doing a loop uh, you know on Mm -hmm. YouTube and it's a what a what a great airplane and I always wondered why why we don't have more cargo specific aircraft you know we have the 747s and the 300s and um, you know we talk a lot about could the A380 make a, a cargo aircraft but the C one hundred and thirty being such a proven platform, it's it's good to see that they're doing they're continuing the civilian production of of that aircraft. So, yeah, very cool. Excellent.
0: There we go. Is that uh, what you're talking about? Um, on here we go. There we go.
2: Yeah. So at, at this point, this was a demo flight at Farmborough for the LM one hundred J and you'll see the pilot uh has done some basically aerobatics in this thing it does mm. look pretty damn awesome I will say
0: it's one of the things you never think really is um, with these kinds of aircraft if you if you did have one as a passenger variant of this and quite imagine seeing you know normal cabin seats inside these aircraft but obviously they are a transport aircraft and um multi purpose
2: I think um, aircraft aren't they yeah well we we had uh, pallets that we could roll onto the c-130s that had seats on them and i believe we could fit over 100 people onto the to the c-130 so in just regular configuration without the seat pallets we used the c-130 as a as a platform to evacuate folks from from you know, whatever situation there we're in. And you could you could pack quite a few people, you know, plus one bag, plus their favorite child into uh, into a C-130, but with a seat configuration. It's pretty loud and noisy and uncomfortable, but hey, when you're trying to get out in a hurry, the C-130 is a great plane.
0: Actually, here we go. We've got the video just there. There we go. For those of you watching on uh, on YouTube, there you go, Armando.
2: Yeah. So he's going over the top right now, and I would have loved to have done this in a C one hundred and thirty. I'm pretty sure we could do it once before all getting fired.
0: That is uh, that's quite that's one hell of a move with uh, with the yeah. aircraft. <laughs> that is pretty shocking, I will say. There we go. So, well, that concludes the military stories for uh, this week. So uh, we're going to start to wrap up things now. But uh, Nev. Um, Obviously, it's, uh, it's still fresh in the minds, I think, actually, what uh, what we had uh, at the uh, Farnborough Air Show uh, a few years back, obviously, with these displays. But we did have some quite interesting displays um, at the Dubai Air Show this year, didn't we?
1: Yeah, there, there was some excellent stuff actually, and um, uh, the, if you've uh, looked at our uh, Facebook page, the Plain Talking UK podcast Facebook page, uh, you'll see some of the pictures that Carlos has put up uh, on there that he took uh, with his nice big lens, and there is some cracking stuff there to see. And uh, we didn't see all of it, but um, uh, cause we weren't there for the whole dis- uh, the whole time that the show was on. But uh, just the two days that we were there, uh, there was some fantastic stuff. It was also nice to see some of the. Um, commercial stuff there as well, of course, as well as the military. And uh, just seeing how low and slow the uh, uh, the Dreamliner was, and they had an A330neo there as well. Again, incredibly quiet aircraft. And just today, coming back from Dublin, uh, I was on uh, an A321neo of a uh, well-known British flag-carrying airline, um, which is only about a month old, uh, this one. And uh, again, it was so quiet uh, in the cabin. So uh, this is is the way forward, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) but making these uh, high-bypass engines, which is uh, remarkably quiet. So uh, unlike the noise that you can hear in the background.
0: Yeah apologies that's me sorry
1: Um, but um, yeah they put a lot of effort into those um, uh, into those displays and also we had the opportunity to go up the uh, ATC tower uh, there as well which was great so we did some nice pictures we didn't do any interviews there because when we were there uh, the crew weren't in uh, the um, uh, the VCR itself but um, nonetheless uh, we got some great views of the uh, airfield and all the bits and pieces that go to making the show what it was so it was a yeah, really great event i'm really glad we went
0: what would you say nev was uh, the your favorite or the best part favorite part of the um, of the show
1: Oh, that's quite difficult, actually. Um, I think going up the tower w- was pretty good. That that took a bit of beating. Um, I liked the unfettered access that we had to the uh, A380 as well. That was really good. Um, gosh, and the Boeing interview that you did was really good. Uh, I did an interview with um, Jim from Pratt & Whitney. Um, yeah, there was, there was, there's so many highlights, which it's just so difficult to uh, to pick one actually but um, yeah i enjoyed all of it.
0: I must just say as well that uh, on the whole two days that we were at the show Nev didn't get burned
1: <laughs> no, isn't it interesting how <clears throat> the sun there? Because you'd expect it to be, you know, really hot, but there's probably not so much UV light, which is what tends to, um, tends to burn my face and arms. Uh, but um, yeah, it, we, I mean, it was what, 32, 33 degrees? Yeah. Something like that. Um, but obviously, if this show had been in the summer, that would have been a very different story indeed. And it would have been far too hot. But uh, it was just nice, actually, wasn't it?
0: It was lovely, and we've got loads more content as, uh, as you said, coming up in the uh, in you know future shows. So uh, keep your eyes open for that. So we're going to start to wrap things up then on the show uh, for this week, and uh, say thanks to everyone who's joined us in YouTube world this evening, and also thanks to everyone who downloads the show each week via iTunes and all the other amazing uh, downloading podcasty type apps that you can use. So where can the guys and girls find
1: us and contact us, Uh, Nev? Well, you can go on to uh, Facebook page, facebook.talk.com and look for Plain Talking UK podcast. You can go on to Twitter and it's uh, at Plain Talking UK and same on Instagram as well, at Plain Talking UK. And uh, You'll find all the ways of uh, uh, contacting us there. But if you want to send uh, some feedback into the show, please use the email address, which is podcast at uk dot com. That's podcast at uk.com And we've also got a WhatsApp number, which I don't have to hand at this exact
0: moment. <laughs> uh, you can. You can send us uh, your pictures. If you want to put your picture on the wall behind us here on the green screen, send us your pictures or audio file or video file. Yeah, you can send via WhatsApp. Uh, the number is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six and you can send us in your pictures and videos and stuff and we can play them out on the show so that's it that's where we are going to bring episode number 295 to a close nev what's going on in the world of you next week any flighting going on
1: well, I'm, I'm not flying next week, so that makes a change, doesn't it, after the uh, rather hectic week uh, we've had. Um, I am doing lots of driving, though, next week. I'm up in the uh, northwest of England, so I'm up in Ooh. Warrington, Manchester, Chester, uh, then back in London later in the week. Um, so a rather a rather full-on week again, uh, but uh, really enjoying the, the the new job as well. So that, that's excellent good. Um, So, uh, yeah.
0: Armando, what's going on in the world of Armando for uh, next week?
2: Well, next week is actually Thanksgiving here in the U.S., so it is a federal holiday. Most everyone has a couple days off, so I do as well, and I'll be headed up to the Washington, D.C. area to see my family. And uh, if anybody will be around the National Air and Space Museum downtown location at the Washington Mall, uh, I'll be there. Uh, Hopefully I'm going to dial in. Uh, with my little remote setup from the air and space uh, so Ooh. if anybody wants to meet up there uh, shoot me a, a email to Armando at plain and I should be there around 130 Eastern uh, somewhere in the museum and uh, we'll see how that setup works so that's uh, that's pretty much it for for me here so you'll be dialing into the show next week
0: fingers crossed in
2: fingers crossed uh, from a an awesome location, and I'll try to pick the, the best background. Brilliant. There's some pretty good ones at the National Air and Space, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to pick. Uh, I'm dragging Maddie with me, so I'll probably let her pick the prettiest <laughs> plane.
0: Um, and uh, for those of you who wonder what the, that bottom left-hand side picture is, that is the back end of uh, one of the uh, engine or the inboard engine on the, was that the starboard side? That was one that NEV on the A380. Yes, that's right. Um, yes, yeah. Of Emirates, yeah. So, uh, yeah, next week, what am I doing next week? Oh, Oh, I've got a rest next week. So um, I'm going to be in the office and doing lots of things warehouse-ified. And actually, I will just point out as well that Gemma is off work all next week. She's got a week's holiday. So um, lucky for her. And then obviously Ooh, nice. Saturday, next Saturday, we'll be flying out uh, back, to, uh, back to the desert again to Oman with the uh, BA boys. So uh, looking forward to uh, our flight out next Saturday on the Dash 8 Dreamliner with BA off to Oman. So uh, it would be nice to get out and have a bit of uh, winter sun before uh, Christmas time gets here so that's it then guys and girls thanks everyone again for joining us tonight hope you have a great weekend whatever you do enjoy your sunday roast and all that so for me carlos here on my own in the p2k studios good night from me and from everyone else Yep. see you
1: good night good night see you everyone you next
2: Bye. happy thanksgiving <laughs>